um, so we're gonna we're gonna continue continue in the first session talking about the faith of Christ. Uh, second session we'll pick back up with the struggle, strife, and life, and then we'll have the the five minute uh, or so break. I think the last time it was about seven. Yeah. Uh, about five minute break or so in between the two, and uh, we'll go from there. So. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, we'll start off in verse 16. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I, would, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word, that you preserved it throughout the years and ages, that we can have it, that we can read it, that we can study it, and that we can take this information and apply it to the details of life that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so. Uh, past couple weeks or so, we've been dealing with the issue of the faith of Christ, right? We, 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 we've gone through this, not really so much dealing with those other versions that change it, right, to the faith in Christ. So that's not really the issue that we're looking at. Uh, last week when we ended up, we were talking about <clears throat> um, Christ going to the cross, right? And we got up to the point where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I told you all to go and, and read uh, Psalm 16, Isaiah 53, Psalm 69, Isaiah 50, uh, Psalm 22, and Isaiah or uh, Philippians 2, right? And you all did that, right? You're going to turn your homework in. No? That's okay. Now, and, and, and it's okay, and the only reason I say it's okay is because we're going to go into that a little bit more probably next week anyway. So I'm going to give you a one-week grace period to, to get that reading done. Right? Too, so still... All right, you get okay. It's a start, right? Start. Well, you missed five other ones there, Bruce, but that's okay. Um, but here's here's the thing. What it comes down to is what we're going to do is we're we're going to look at next week. We're going to look more so at the 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 sayings of the cross, right? What was on Christ's mind as he's hanging there on the cross? I mean, think about. Think about that real quick. And, and those verses, those passages that, that I was talking about, we're going to go and read, right? And, and make sure that we were up, up on, on what's going on there. Those are the things that's going through his mind, right? And you think about that real quick. And it's really interesting because there's, there's seven sayings that Jesus Christ has on the cross. And it's really interesting. And, of course, I don't want to get into it too much now because we'll talk about it next week because there's still some things I want us to, to see. When you look at it, the first three, it's Father. The fourth one, it's my God, my God. And then the last three is Father. And it's really interesting to see that progression. But the interest the more interesting thing is what's on his mind are these verses. 
right? He's on the cross and he's thinking of these verses. His body is 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 under the pressure and, and under all that stuff. And and the thing that, that, that he's got on his mind is, here's this verse, and here's this verse, and here's this verse, and here's this verse. And he knows that these things are taking place. And the best part is, is he knows. Real quick, go over to Romans chapter 3. Uh, and, and, and we'll we'll see this hopefully a little bit more as we go through here. But I want us to be able to make sure that we see this. In, in Romans chapter 3... <clears throat> Um, we'll start off in verse verse 24. <clears throat> Romans 3, 24, he says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, notice, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. All right, so, you know, we always stop there and say, okay, that's a big Bible word for what? A fully satisfying payment for sin. So you stop and think there for a second. What Jesus Christ knows is because of the verses, he knows that God's justice will be satisfied with what he's doing. You know, we ended off last week talking about the cup, right? And he knows that that cup is the full, undiluted wrath of God that's going to be placed on him for our sins. And he knows that's coming. And yet he continues to go on to that. And we talked about it. Uh, very briefly, last time, the 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 darkness, and we'll we'll see this when we get into and we go through Psalm and we see this, the darkness that he dealt with was our darkness, and he willingly went into that darkness for us. He knew what was going on. He knew the judgment, the full un- undiluted wrath of God is going to be brought down on him, and he knows for a fact that it's going to be a fully satisfying payment for sin because he knew the verses. He knew the Scripture. He trusted the Father. And it's really interesting because we see that over and over again. And that's one of the reasons why when we look at Galatians chapter 2, in fact, go to Galatians chapter 3 as well, um, we we talked about all the different places, right? Uh, Romans 3.21, which is right before what we just got through reading about. Uh, Galatians 2.16 and 20, that that section. Galatians 3.22, Ephesians 3, uh, Philippians 3, and Titus 1, where we're we're introduced to the faith of Christ, or the faith of Jesus Christ, or the faith of Him, right? And we see those things, and we we come here to Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. Notice it says, but the Scripture hath concluded all under sin. You ever stop thought about <clears throat> where is it that we find out that the Scripture has concluded all under sin? Romans tells us that, right? Romans 3 says, hey, God has said that both Jew and Gentile are what? All under sin. And that's a great thing to know because if, it's, if, if He said all are under sin, then guess who He gets to save? He has an opportunity to save all. And we don't have to go through a group of people. We don't have to go and bless a group of people. All we got to do is just simply trust in what Christ did on the cross, which is why we want to know what His faith is, right? And that's why we talk about the faith of Christ. Why is it important for us to talk about His faith? He trusted the book. He trusted the Father. And that's an important thing because when we look at that, you know, as we've talked about this, and continue on here in verse 22, he says that. Here's the purpose. 
why he concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ. Notice it's not faith in. There's nothing that our faith can do to give us anything, right? We've talked about that. We've gone through that. But what do we know about the faith of Christ? Trust in God and His Word. And, and, and when we look at that, His faith is complete, right? It's done. It's a done deal. We wake up today, and it's just as finished as it was yesterday. And it's going to be just as finished as it is tomorrow. And there's nothing that can change His faith, right? You know, one of the things, is it tough sometimes to read something in God's Word and say, yep, I believe that for myself? <laughs> sometimes it is. So what do we know about our faith? Our faith isn't complete. Our faith doesn't, it's not, here it is, and you can't change it. It's going to waver, right? And that's why it's important for us to know sound doctrine because what sound doctrine does is it brings you down and makes you stable to where you're not tossed to and fro, right? And so then when we look at this and you look at verse 22, he says, here's why I've concluded all under sin that. Here's the purpose. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that what? Does it say work? Does it say work? No. It says it says, does it say that uh, to them that were elected by God before the foundation of the world? No. And so when we read that, here's the issue. Do you have your faith in that verse? Yes. And he says, them that what? Believe. So what is it that we're really trusting in? We're really trusting in his faithfulness to do what he did on the cross. Now, when, when, when a lot of folks come to those verses that, that we ticked off about the faith of Christ. By the way, it's really interesting to find out that those that phrase, the faith of Christ, um, you know where all those verses are? Paul's epistles. That's an amazing thing to think about. You kind of you stop for a second and think, maybe there is something to this. And so, as we go through here, there's a lot of folks that will come along and say, well, that's talking about Christ's um, worthiness to be believed. Okay. Why is he worthy to be believed? Why, why, why is he trustworthy? Because of his faith. Right? So, when he looked at the cross, he says, I know I'm going to go there. Right? We looked at it last week, and we'll go through some other verses again again today. But, uh, real quick, get, uh, get Ephesians chapter 3 real quick. Get Ephesians chapter 3. And get uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> Chapter 10. Chapter 10. Yes, sir. No, you're fine. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Um, you know, you, 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 start thinking about, you start thinking about what all Christ accomplished, which is one of the reasons why I gave you all those verses to go back and those passages to look, look into, right? And like I said, most of those are probably 10, 11, 12 verses long. Um, Psalm 69 is 36. But those other ones, you can you could read through those fairly fairly quickly. And again, like I said, we're going to look at that a little bit more in depth 
next week, but I want you to have those things in your mind as we go through here. But notice, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Paul says here, I have to do it, right? Verse 1. Let's just go back to verse 1. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure that we get this. So verse verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness. By the way, what's that next word? Of who? Have you ever thought about that? He's saying the way that I'm begging you, and that's that, that's that term beseech, right? I'm beseeching you. I, I myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of who? Of Christ. Not my meekness, not my gentleness. It's his meekness and his gentleness. You know, when you go over and you read in Galatians and he talks about the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's the fruit that the Spirit produces. By the way, when you look at that, is that fruit, you know, <clears throat> folks around here, uh, because, of, because of the religious system, um, the fruit inspectors, they say, well, you know, have you gone down to the mission downtown and have you given money and have you given food and have you done all this, stuff, all this other stuff? You know, the interesting thing, the fruit comes from doctrine. Now, the interesting thing is you're going to go do those things because the doctrine is working in you to go do it. You don't, those aren't, that's not the fruit, right? And you go back and you study through some of those things and you see that, that issue. But here, here's... That verse 1 reminds me of not I, but Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. And that's what it is. Yeah. And so, and that's why, that's why I wanted to make sure that we stopped and talked about the faith of Christ because that's a key element, right? Because when we look at that and we talk about the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Well, I said that one time at an, at an FCA meeting at school and this guy's like, so you're telling me that you live by the faith of Jesus Christ. And I said, that's what the verse says. And so then you stop and think about that because it's his life being put on display now. And the fact that, that and it's not haughty and high-minded and stuff, but the fact that he chooses to use people to put his life on display and you get to be a part of it simply by believing. That's amazing. And we can get ourselves out of the way. It's not me. And just get out of the way. Right. Quit trying to be and just allow, right? One of the things, and I've said this in this series before, and even the one before, uh, one of the statements John Verstegen said, and I love it because it's, it's so true, let the Word of God do the work of God. Instead of trying to go do the work and say, well, this is of God, just get in the book and allow the book to get in you and allow that to produce what he's designed to produce. And notice, what is it that it's produced here in Paul is what? The meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you, how's he beseeching them again, by the way? The meekness and gentleness of Christ, right? He says, I beseech you that I may not be that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And he's going to give us an, 
a little bit of an idea why. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You know, you stop and think about that. <clears throat> um, when, we, when, we, when we look out at, at, for instance, what our governor's doing right now in the state of Kentucky, right? <clears throat> We're not battling him. We're not, we're not, and, and so many churches are, are battle, thinking that their battle is with, the, uh, with that person. Well, I'm going to open up my doors and he can just come on down and show us. You're, you're missing the point. There's a whole system behind that guy that no one knows and realizes what's going on and pushing it. When you have, when you, when you understand the system, you know, you go over to Ephesians 2 and you find out it's the course of the world, Right? That's what you're fighting against. And the problem is, is so many times we're thinking that we're fighting against this physical thing. And Paul says, we, we do not war after the flesh. Why do we not war after the flesh? Well, one of the reasons why you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and you find out what? We don't know Christ after the flesh. Neither, we're not, we don't know people after the flesh anymore. Our issue is not the flesh our issue is that people have a spirit and they have a soul and they have a body and that spirit and soul has a destination and we can change that destination by giving them the gospel. That's the issue. Not, not, their, not the flesh. We're not fighting against people. There's a whole system that we have to worry about. But he says, for our weapons are, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, he gives us that little interjection right there, but I want you to think about this. Let's read verse 3 and 5 without that, but we know that that's the idea, right? That's where our, that's where our war is. But notice, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, casting down imaginations, right? We know that we have this, this, this spiritual battle, that that's what we're dealing with. We're not... We're not you know, we don't have weapons of, 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 of carnal things. But he says, casting down imaginations. Where do you have imaginations in your mind? And he's saying, and it's really, it's really interesting because he says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, what? Every thought. Now, is it just bringing into captivity every thought? Is there a period there? Nope. No, but what does he say? Every thought, every imagination, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, what's he say? Bring it down and bring captivity to every thought to what? The obedience of Christ. So when we look at the cross and we look, and it's not just the cross, right? It's his entire life. We've talked about it when we were going through Matthew, right? It's the word, and that's the issue, right? And that's why it's important for us to know that. So when we go back to Matthew chapter 4, and we see that Christ is going through those temptations, and, and, and one of the things we've talked about before is as, as Satan was going through those three temptations, Satan is saying, hey, if you bow down to me, I'm going to give you this. And we talked about this. Satan knows that Christ is going to have that take place one day. Every one of those three things. And what Satan was trying to do is says, I'm going to allow you to go ahead and do it now and you don't have to wait. 
And it's really interesting because you stop and you think about that. Not only was he trying to get Christ to, to, to be tempted to do something, but he was trying to tempt him to do something at the wrong time. Right? And what is it that churches out here today are doing? Well, you got to tithe because I know it's in the Old Testament or New Testament church, but you still got to tithe. Right? That's what they do. They have you doing things at the wrong time. Well, you got to get water baptized. Well, I know that wasn't. And so, and one of the things I always, I always think of, Tower of Babel. You've got men on earth trying to build a tower to get to heaven. What was God doing at the time? He was getting ready to start, right before, this is right before he gets out. Abraham separates himself a group of people, right? His whole goal is to what? Set up a kingdom here on earth. What's man trying to do? Go to heaven. What's God doing today? Building a group, a body of believers that's going to be in the heavenlies, and what is the church doing today? Trying to do stuff on earth. Man has always had it backwards. Why? Because they're following the system that has them doing things at the wrong time. That They're following that false version of the real thing, which is why you have false versions of the real thing. Just enough truth. And I would almost say just enough lies to confirm that, that lie. And you've got all the truth around it, but then there's one little lie. Well, you're going to believe that lie because of all the truth that's around it. And it really helps out if people don't understand what they're being told. Isn't that a commentary on the world right now? And so then when we think about this, and I know that's a sidetrack, but here's the issue. What are we supposed to do with every thought and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God is bring it into captivity into the obedience of Christ? What was Christ doing? What was his response to Satan all three times? It is written. He knows the verses. He knows the scripture. He's living, and, and, and we talked about this. He lives in complete and total dependence upon the Father and the Word. His entire life. When he's going to the to the to the religious folks at that time, what was his responses? Have you never read? What she not? What she not? Have you not read? Because that is the final authority in his life, was it not? Just as it is in ours. And so if you change the final authority and you make the guy who stands behind this thing the final authority, then you're, you're going to be subject to whoever stands behind that, that pulpit or podium. Well, this mind in Christ, is that, that verse where it speaks about that, this, about the mind of Christ? Would it be, in Philippians 2. Right, yeah. It's the word, right? Yeah. 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 And, and and it's not just it's not just the word, but as you go through, and we'll look at that in a second. But <clears throat> notice in Ephesians chapter three, <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter three, <clears throat> we'll just break in here in verse nine. <clears throat> verse nine, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now one of the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Notice, here's what I'm wanting to get to. 
according to, all right? So there's the manifold wisdom of God that's according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord, notice, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of who? Him. It's Jesus Christ's confidence. It's it's the confidence that we have, the access, the boldness and the access with confidence. Why are we confident in His faith? Because it's a done deal. And so if we don't know about His faith, can we actually believe verse 12? If we don't understand the faith of Him, can we actually believe that verse and allow that to live in and through us? And that's the issue, right? It, you know, we, we've, we've talked about these things before in Romans. When you get to Romans chapter 3 and 4 and you find out that you're justified and the fact that God's taken and imputed His righteousness to you, If you don't believe that, you can't live it. You can't live what you don't know. You can't teach what you don't know, and you can't live what you don't know. And so then, Delilah, since you brought it up, we'll go there real quick. Philippians chapter 2, right? Because the mind, the mind that, we, that we're talking about there, there, you know, we've... I want to make sure that we see this. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one, one accord and of one mind. All right, you stop there and think, what is it that Paul is saying? If there's any consolation, if there's any comfort, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any bowels and mercies, he says, fulfill you my joy. Why or how? That you be like-minded. Have the same thinking process. So it's that thinking issue, right? And the way that we do that is we have the same idea. And, and here's, here's the really, really important thing. It's not just... Well, I'm going to believe what God says, right? I mean, faith is taking God as His word, but we're not going to stand here and say, well, we're going to go build an ark because we believe Genesis, right? So when we look at this, notice, here's, here's where it really comes in. Because it, when, you, when you're thinking about the faith of Christ, it's not just some doctrine that can sit on the shelf and you can go dust it off every once in a while and be like, see, we believe that. But notice, here's where it comes through, verse, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. How is it that you get a lowly, a lowliness of mind? That, I mean, you think about you think of the fruits of the spirit and all that stuff, humility and all those. You know, you think about all the things that we have, <clears throat> being humble and all that. When we look at those things. He says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. 
right? So really when we're talking about this, what's the mind, what's the mindset that we should have is what? To esteem others better than ourselves. If we meet somebody on the side of the street or, you know, we go to a restaurant or something when we're allowed to again, uh, I feel like a teenager. It's like I'm, <laughs> you can't go outside. Oh, man. You're grounded. Yeah, you're grounded. Um, but I mean, you know, if you go out somewhere and you have a conversation with somebody, do we esteem them better than ourselves? Do we take the time to go ahead and say, hey, can I have a conversation with you real quick? If you died today, do you know if you would go to heaven or hell? You know, I think sometimes, especially the way the world is now, my my mind doesn't go there, mm-hmm. and I get frustrated. I let my flesh take over my mind, uh, and I get frustrated, and that's why we have to put those thoughts into captivity of Christ and. It's not me, it's Christ, mm-hmm. you know, that does the work, that does the sharing. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes into our next session, right? Once we start talking about the struggle, strife, and life. <clears throat> There's, there is a struggle that Christians go through that unsaved people don't go through. We struggle and fight with the flesh yeah. constantly, and they don't because that, that's what their mind is. And Huh? Our biggest fight is in our mind. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing that, that a lot of people miss when they're talking about, you know, uh, you, know, I've, you know, we live in America and I've got air-conditioned house and all this. I don't struggle. Yeah, you do. You struggle right here every day. And that's just as important as getting a flat tire. To know how to deal with those things. We'll talk about that in the next session. <clears throat> but... Well, but keep that in mind because that's the idea, right? And that's where this stuff takes us. This is where the mind of Christ takes us. Uh, as we continue on, esteeming others better than themselves, verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We've talked about this the last time. Jesus Christ, did he esteem you better than himself? Absolutely. We were enemies, right? That's what Romans tells us. When we were enemies, he what? He reconciled us to himself. When we, when we were at our weakest point, we couldn't do anything even if we wanted to. What did he do? He died for the ungodly. He did it anyway. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that what? That's the like-mindedness that he's looking for is to put others above ourselves, to think on the other rather than ourselves, because we know that there's a whole bunch of people out there that if they were to die today, we know exactly where they would go. And we have the only message that can get people out of that. And instead, we're worried about those fleshly problems, right? And I know it's easy to get into. I know it is. But what do we do? Our thought process should be what? Get our mind on the obedience of Christ. What was he obedient to? The Word. To the Father. And how is it that he lived his entire life was in obedience to the Word? Uh, Real quick, go to 2 Thessalonians. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Or my bad, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and, and we've mentioned this before. Okay, Jesus Christ, He lived His life in, in total dependency on the Word. Right? He, he's Jesus Christ. He was God in, in the flesh. Well, if I give you an example of somebody that also did that wasn't God in the flesh, would you pay a little bit more attention to it? Maybe. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 13. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13. My bad. Thank you. See? Bruce has got me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got, I got, I got, I got, a, I got, a, I got a stereo Bruce going on here. Double dose of Bruce. But here's the thing, right? First Thessalonians two thirteen. Got it. All right. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh. Notice what that next word says. Also in you that believe. So he's saying the word of God is going to affect, it's, and we talked about this, it's, it's going to create an effect in you when you read it and you believe it. And notice he says, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Well, a few months or years or back, whatever it was, uh, I think it was about a year or so, <clears throat> That word also just kind of kind of rung with me. I was like, why is he saying also? And you know it's amazing when you read the book, you actually find out a little bit more about it. Notice in verse 10. And this is why this is where it comes from. <clears throat> verse 9, we'll start there. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Notice, ye are witnesses. And God also. So you've got those, those folks in Thessalonica were, were witnesses. God was also a witness to what he's about to say. Notice how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Why? Because the word of God effectually worked in them. And he says, it's going to work also in you that believe. You saw how it, how it affected us and how we behaved ourselves in your presence. You were a witness. God was a witness also how his word worked in and through us. And you saw it. And by the way, it's going to produce the exact same life in you when you believe it. When he gets down to verse 13. To me, I find that fascinating. You've got God's word working through Paul, Savanus, and Timotheus, Right? That's, that's the we that he's talking about there because that's who, that's who he's, he's addressing the Thessalonians. He says in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, right? And he says, you saw how holily and unblameably and... and, and un Notice again. How hol holily, justly, and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. You saw us three. Three men. Not deity, Three men, he said, you all saw how God's word worked in us and it's going to work in you the exact same way. 
So we look at the faith of Christ and we say, that is amazing that we can look at that and say, his faith is accomplished, it's done. And we can say, we can look at that and we can say, we can allow ourselves, when we get in this book and the book gets in us, to allow his life to produce in us his meekness. Because <laughs> it's hard to be meek these days. But it's his meekness that's going to be produced in us if we believe. And so then, you know, that's one of those things. Why is it important for us to talk about and know about the faith of Christ? One is that, that gets us away from those other versions of the Bible. But it also gives us an idea of how God's word works. And if we live in complete and total dependency upon his word, the same way that Christ did, the same way that Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus did, then it's going to produce in us, just as he says right there in the verse, it's going to work effectually in you that believe. That's, that's the part. The, the believe is the part, right? In our mind, we have to make a conscious decision based upon knowing information. In Romans chapter 6, we've talked about know, reckon, and yield, right? We have to know some stuff, reckon it to be true for yourself, and then go yield. And like I said last week, we get to the point where we say, body... You're going to go do this whether you like it or not, so get used to 